Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to finish up the fourth chapter here. Let me um, just say a couple of preliminary words, which will actually probably take uh, about half the time. But I want to say a couple of preliminary words. Preliminary means the first half, and conclusion means the second half. That's basically where these sermons go. I'd like to just thank all of you who were in prayer for me this last week. I was out in Washington um, doing some seminars uh, at the Pentagon and uh, on Capitol Hill. And I just experienced such uh, an envelopment of prayer power. You can really tell the difference. I want you to know you can tell the difference. When, when we worship the Lord here and preach and there's been a prayer covering, you, you can sense the difference. Uh, than when there's been an inadequate covering. Things just flow smoothly. Uh, Things don't come by human wisdom or by human flesh, but by divine anointing, and it's powerful. And this week was just, for me, overwhelming, seeing God move uh, and open up doors uh, at Capitol Hill and in the Pentagon. And that's part of the ministry of Woodland Hills. That's, That's, you know, I'm out there and you're praying for me, and that's part of what we're doing. But I, I, I can't go into details except to say that I'm overwhelmed by, by how some things just transpired. I got a chance to talk to literally hundreds of, of military personnel, uh, evangelistic messages, um, uh, calling them to, to uh, uh, give their hearts to the Lord, and also just giving a charge to those who are soldiers to step up in terms of the spiritual war that we're a part of. I got a chance to speak to 30 uh, wives of congressmen and, and representatives, um, they have a Bible study, and about half of them also were not saved, and got a chance just to share the Lord with them. Um, I had a chance, I had a dinner, uh, this one couple who was a, uh, and they're very careful about uh, using names. They feel exploited a lot, so they ask you not to use specific names, but uh, this one Christian couple of congressmen invites other congressmen and, and senators and legislators and stuff over to his house, and they have an evangelistic supper. It's an incredible, it was the most beautiful form of evangelism I've ever been a part of. We had supper together, and we just, you know, talked. And then they had a time where um, uh, they would just ask me questions. And this is just the Lord. It's very humbling to be, all of a sudden, it's like watching a movie. Um, I'm sitting in this, in this living room, and there's these congressmen and senators asking me questions like, well, can you tell us what really is the difference between Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha? It's like, thank you um, for asking and, and, and how, does, how can a person really know? Isn't it just faith? It's, you know, why believe in the Bible as opposed to the Quran? And, and um, why is there so much suffering in the world? And these are, these are leaders of our country who influence the course of things mightily, asking me these questions. And the Lord just moved there. It was, I was afraid it would be kind of awkward and you know, stiff. and you know, I don't know. I just, I'm like sometimes afraid of these kind of things. But it was so natural and so anointed. And God just took over. And it was, it was just a beautiful thing. Thursday morning, as with last week, um, I was looking for my pygmy, by the way. I, last year when I came back from being out in Washington, I met this, I call him our pygmy, and, and uh, uh, he's just this powerful prayer warrior. And I didn't find him, and I asked about him, and no one really knew who I was talking about. Maybe it was an angel, I don't know. Um, but uh, uh, God's presence was there nonetheless. On, on Thursday morning, I woke up at about 4 in the morning, 3.30 I guess it was, and I, I had to speak to these generals at 6 o'clock in the morning. And this is the most intense of all the meetings. This one, I just something about these generals. They, they're, they're demigods out there. And it's just, 
I tell you, it gets a little nerve-wracking sharing the gospel with them. And I was basically telling them that they have a commander-in-chief that they ought to start paying some attention to. Um, <clears throat> Amen. But as I was praying, and this is again the result of, of, of prayer covering. Uh, I, I, I'm in my totally dark uh, um, hotel room, praying, you know, there, and just kind of saying, Lord, give me the words, whatever. And all of a sudden, I become very aware, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you become very aware of angelic presences in the room. You just, bam, it's like, all of a sudden you're aware, and there they are, and you can even sense kind of their locations. I know this sounds really weird to a lot of you, but, but it was so real, it, it gave me the chills. I, I was like, whoa. Um, but in a good way. Does that make sense? It was eerie, but in a good way. In fact, it was so real. They were so there. I didn't see them with my physical eyes, but I was so aware of their presence. And I've never done this before, so do not lock me up. But I said, I didn't know what to say, but I, it, it was like I felt, I felt embarrassed if I didn't say something, like rude. And so I said, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> and I just looked around, you know, like, boy, <laughs> Mr. Spiritual. What? And they don't answer, they don't answer audibly. I know this sounds really bizarre, but there was an answer in my spirit. It's like, just to let you know that we got you covered. Oh, and it's just so ministering. It's so ministering to know that you're surrounded. Like Elijah going out to war and he sees the, the chariots all around him in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. But I just so much appreciate your prayer covering. You know what, you guys? We need to really pray for our leaders. I know I, I am guilty as the rest of us for knocking them. And, and sometimes there are some good jokes to come of this. But, but you know what? We, we, uh, you fly into Washington, and if you got your radar up, you, you, you sense the war zone stuff. The, the enemy's got a finite reservoir, right? He's a finite army, and he has to invest his time. He has to invest his resources wisely. If he's interested in bringing as much destruction as possible, you shoot at leadership. One of the center places of leadership for the world is the Pentagon and is the White House and, and, and all of that politics stuff. There's a war going on there. There are also, you've got to know this, some dynamic warriors uh, who are praying there. There's some warfare going on now. They're, they're planning this uh, million-man march, uh, Promise Keepers, in October. And I want to encourage all the guys to get involved in this because there is really a tremendous um, spiritual snowball rolling in this direction and a lot of excitement and stuff. But some good things are happening there, so I just thank you for, for, for covering me in prayer. A last preliminary word that I'd like to just say a word about is, is this. It has to do with an update about uh, building and, and where we're going with this. Um, we're just keep, we just keep knocking on doors. We just keep on praying. We just keep on saying, Lord, this is in your hands, not ours. We keep on saying, Lord, we're committed not to pry open doors, but when you open one, we'll walk through it. The Lord really put forth Phelan, that whole village with all those stores there and the markets there, as a way of, I believe, uh, clarifying what our ministry is to be. Really crystallized the idea of us being a church that is to network with other ministries. Literally a church without walls. The only reason why we have walls is to facilitate having a ministry without walls, if you got that. And to network with other ministries, to have a centralized location that's sort of a heartbeat, pumping blood to the church in the Twin Cities. That's, it's very clear what God wants us to be. And Phelan helped us do that. That being said, it's looking increasingly like that wasn't the location that God wants us to do that with. We don't know for sure we'll keep knocking on that door, but, but uh, from a strictly natural point of view, which we don't pay a lot of attention to, but it's there, uh, the doors have shut. There's just been signs and signals not at the, at the official level, they're still excited about us. It's weird. I don't get the politics of St. Paul. But the bosses are like saying, gosh, this would be great. 
But the community council and some of the grassroots movement are saying, uh, in so many words, they don't want us. In fact, not in so many words, those, that's a quote. <laughs> we don't want you here. <laughs> um, so I get that you have some hesitation. Um, but you know what? We're okay. We're not going to pry this. We'll, we'll, we'll pray it open if it's supposed to be open. But otherwise, it's like, fine. You want a duck landing strip? You'll get a duck landing strip. You know, God will open up something else. So that's where we're at. The, the, um, the uh, sorry, the Builder Square on Snelling is uh, uh, looking like a possibility. There's some hurdles we got to get through. Like there's some offers on, you like that, don't you? There's some offers on the table that we got to pray down. Uh, and then we got to come up with an offer of our own. I, but that's a ways down the road. But here's what I would, I want to challenge you to do this. First of all, as you have been, be ready. Be standing guard. There'll be a time where we say time to move. And when it's time to move, like in the military, we're going to have to move quickly. So be on guard. Be praying about this. Uh, be seeking the Lord's will. Be talking to us uh, in things that you get in the spirit or things that you get in the flesh. If you find buildings open and stuff, uh, let us know. We're just taking info. Uh, there's a number in, the bull, in, the, in your bulletin uh, to call. If, you've got some, if you hear some stuff going on about buildings open, you call Jim Boo. He's kind of uh, uh, heading up our, our, our building search committee. And, and be, be, be uh, in dialogue with us. A final thing is this. The Lord is really making it clear to us that if we are going to take the next step, and God's been for a while now, far too long in my opinion, but for quite a while, taking his time, making us ready to take the next step. This next step is going to be, and now I understand why the Lord's been, been biding time. But, but the next step is going to happen if and only if we, the army, ha- step up our faith and step up our prayer and step up our commitment. This is not a ministry about spiritual leaders. The leaders are here to, to equip you to do the ministry. We are a body. We are all the body. None of us is the head. The head is Jesus Christ. And so this body will move, and I just believe, and, and a lot of you have the same impression, that the ceiling is the limit, and that's not even the limit, if we are willing to step out in faith and do what God wants us to do. If we walk in obedience, as he gives us the command to walk in obedience, there's, it's just, we have an opportunity to be a part of something that most people never are a part of, in terms of seeing God move by his power to revolutionize, revitalize, and revive the apathetic church in the Twin Cities. The question is, will we step up to the plate? And I just want you to be praying about that. Uh, wh- what, what is that going to mean? One of the things that's going to mean somewhere down the road is, is, do we have the finances to buy the building that God finally opens up the door to, for us to buy? We will probably need for a congregation the size uh, that we are now and to be able to grow something to the tune of, of $500,000 to $1 million as a down payment. We've been saving up money as much, best we can, uh, but we don't have that kind of money. But if God's in it, it'll be there. Amen? If God is in it, it'll be there. Now, I want to just tell you where we're at and just be praying about this. We are not going to go out and hire a professional firm. A lot of places do this. We're not going to do this. That will tell us how to raise more money and tell us how to, you know, twist arms and tell us how to put on a flashy program and sell a project or whatever. I, I just, this, we are committed to never letting this get fleshy. This is not about the vision of some leader or Norm or Steve or anybody. It's about us as a body. And if we are in it, God will provide the resources for, for it. Our only job will be to obey. So we're just going to say, here's the need. Here's the door. What do you say? And let God take care of the rest. Amen. But be in prayer about that, okay? Be preparing your hearts. Be preparing your spirits. The time will come where we're going to say, here's where it's at. What do you say? And it'll be a matter of us yeah, marching through the door or not. Praise God. Amen. Let's turn to the Bible. 
Hebrews chapter 4. At this point, this will be more of a sermonette than anything, but it's a very important sermonette. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14. I'll read this, give a little word of explanation, and then I just want to draw one or two points uh, from this passage. Let me just pray. Father, oh Lord, we thank you for your presence here. I thank you, Lord God, that there are people here who uh, get more excited about you than we do about Gophers basketball. Though thank you for letting the Gophers win yesterday. <laughs> if you had anything to do with that. But Lord, um, I just thank you for this body of people. I thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. It is so clear. It is so evident. And it's exciting to be a part of this. Father, we pray that your word would come alive here, Lord, because this is fueled by your word. And it comes by your spirit and by your anointing. So, Lord, I pray that your word would come out here in a crystal clear way and take me aside and make me transparent and just shine, Jesus, shine. Lord, I pray, God, that for healing that is needed here, there'd be healing. And for, for conviction, there'd be conviction. For encouragement, there'd be conviction, uh, encouragement. But, Lord, that's by your spirit that that gets done. We turn it over to you. And all God's people said, amen. Since then, we have a great high priest. A great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast the confession of faith. Let us hold fast our confession. Uh, a little word here. So far, the author's been talking to the Hebrew Christians because the Hebrew Christians are thinking about going back to their Judaism. They're thinking about giving up on their faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They, they, they're beginning to think that Jesus is just an angel. The author here says, hold fast your confession. The confession is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He says here that the Son of God is your high priest. We'll be talking about that all through chapter 5. And he says here, your high priest has passed through the heavens. Now, what does he mean by that? No one is really sure. Uh, there's a lot of different nuances, but it means at least this much. The author is saying that Jesus Christ is not an angel. That's been one of his main points. And to say that he passed through the heavens is to say this. He passed through the heavens to become a human being. He's not an angel in the heavens. His origin is above the heavens. He's God Almighty. He passed through the heavens to become a human being. He passed through the human stage of existence to uh, experience life as we experienced it. And then he ascended into heaven. He passed through the heavens going back. To say that Jesus passed through the heavens is a way of saying he is both above us and he's also one of us. He was above us, he became one of us, and now he's above us, all the while being perfect God and perfect man. The author here has been trying to warn the Christians here, in, in, uh, the Hebrew Christians, about the dangers of going back. And we've had a lot of harsh warning here, but now, as the Word of God so often does, the author is going to get gentle, and he's going to come back with a little word of encouragement and tenderness. And this is the beginning of it. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Here the author is saying, though Jesus Christ passed through the heavens coming down and passed through the heavens going up, you've got to know this. He's God Almighty, but he's not beyond sympathizing with us. The author is not saying that Jesus had to experience everything we go through to know what we go through, but he is saying the fact that he became a human being and was tempted as a full human being, just as we are, proves the point that he sympathizes with us in our weakness. And then as a result of this, because Jesus Christ became one of us, he passed through the heavens, and because he can empathize and sympathize with us, verse 16, 
Let us therefore, because Jesus is the Son of God, let us draw near. Let's draw ever, ever so close with confidence, with boldness to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Let me just say a couple words about this, this passage here. And let me get at it this way. My little boy, Nathan, greatest kid in the world, um, struggles a lot in school. It's just not his favorite thing to do. But he doesn't like to talk about it much. He doesn't talk about a lot of things much. Uh, he's very much to himself. He likes to talk about video games or whatever, but when it comes to sharing your deep feelings, it's kind of like, now. Nah. Uh, it just doesn't come out. It's kind of like trying to crack a hard egg. One time I was driving down the street with him, and, and I knew that he was going through some struggles at school. I knew he was going through some teasing. I knew that he was struggling with his reading and math in a real strong way. And I just felt led to do this, and, and I had done this before, but never quite this intensely, I guess. And here's what happened. I began to tell him about my struggles in school. You know, that I, I got teased when I was in school. Did I ever tell you that, Nathan? And all of a sudden, he's all ears. I got teased a lot. I got teased, and he wanted to know why. Well, what did they have to tease you about? Well, because, you know, I couldn't read very well. They used to call me stupid. Says they call me that, too, sometimes. They used to laugh at my hair because my hair was so curly. And then I tried to straighten it, and they really laughed. In fourth grade, I tried to put all this grease on my hair. You know, I, I tried to grease it down and slick it back, like the Fonz or something. And uh, that was even funnier than, and, and you know, my hair was really curly, and it took a lot of grease. <laughs> I plastered that stuff down. And then what would happen is that it would, like one would curl up, you know. <laughs> we'd have a curl there, and I'd be trying to put it down. One day I, I leaned against the blackboard, uh, you know, going to sleep as I was wanting to do in those days. And I left a great big grease spot on the blackboard. And somebody, in fact, I knew who that person was, and I don't think I've ever quite forgiven them, pointed out, oh, look, Greg left a spot on the board. And all the kids started laughing, and I tried to erase it. I was, I, you know, I was so scared, and I tried to erase it, and you can't erase grease. All you do is get in a greasy eraser, and you spread it around. And somebody took it, and they drew a big mark around there, and they made a target out of it, and they called it Greg's Spot. And it didn't go away for about two weeks. And my son at this point is laughing his head off. <laughs> I thought I had life rough, man. My dad was really a geek. But you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I understand what it's like to be teased and, and to have it rough. I told him about the time that I was, you know, I was afraid to go to the bathroom. And for some reason, I was afraid of those germs. They're going to come bite your butt or something. And so I, I had a phobia about that. Don't laugh. Some of you still have it. I outgrew it at least. Lay out the toilet, you know? <laughs> no, I don't care. See, I got over it. But I was afraid. Uh, someone told me about germs, and I thought, you know, these invisible demons are going to grab you or something. So I didn't go, and I told them about the time one day in recess where I had to go so bad, and it's kind of walking like this, and somebody came up from behind and pushed me. It was not, it was not uh, a good situation, and it got worse when I tried to flush the underwear down the toilet to, to destroy the evidence. And it, oh, I see you're laughing too. Oh, it was abusive. All this water everywhere, and everyone's pointing to who did it, and the rest of the day was just a bad day, and you know, can only get away with blaming other people for so long. Uh, you know, it wasn't me, it was him, he did it, uh, in terms of, you know what I mean. 
And all this time, my son's saying, you went through that? Because see, little boys look up to their dads as sort of heroes. And by saying that, you know what, my schooling wasn't good either, and I couldn't read word beans, and I couldn't do math, and I was bored stiff, and I was always in trouble, and kids laughed at me, and I had some real embarrassing things going on, and I went to bed till I was 10 years old. Why am I telling you guys all this? But, but it's like, it was, it was a lot of trouble and stuff, and all the while, he's beginning to see that, you know what, Dad's a hero, but he's a hero that's on my level. He, we're on the same page. He understands where I'm at. And as I would share stories, he would say, well, that happened to me too, and this and that. And all the while, he's kind of coming out. He can come boldly, as it were, before his dad, because he realizes that his dad's been there. I've passed through what you're going through, and that means I understand something. I'm not going to get mad when you tell me this stuff. I'm going to understand because I've been there. That's what sympathy is. The word literally means to have pathos. Pathy means emotion alongside of another. Sympathos, sympathy. To experience alongside of another, to experience with one another. And when you do that, a person knows that they're not alone and they begin to feel safe. And what the author is saying here in Hebrews 4, in in so many words, is just this. Jesus wants to relate to us just like that. He's passed through the heavens. He's God. He's exalted. He's almighty. He's holy. He's righteous. He's up there. He owns all things. But you've got to know this. He's also on the same page as you are. And he wants you to let him in on the inside of where you are. God wants to relate to us the way I was trying to relate to my little boy there. Come down to our level. God understands this stuff. That's what the whole cross, that's what the incarnation, that's what the crucifixion is all about. He experiences life from the inside of our struggle. He knows what it's like. It doesn't mean that he condones it. It doesn't mean that he's saying, okay, you know, just the way you are. I don't condone everything my son goes through, but I do understand it. Love is able to do that without agreeing with everything, yet you embrace everything. Do you get that? The, 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 the reformed alcoholic doesn't say to his drunken buddy, hey, don't worry about it, you're okay the way you are. That wouldn't be love. You want to get this person out of their drunkenness, but the way you do it is by saying, you know what, I've been there, let me tell you my testimony, let me tell you what I've been through, the way Jim Skye did last week, sharing what he's been through. It lets you know that, you know what, I'm not above you, I'm alongside you, I'm with you, I want to be in your experience. What the Lord is saying, praise God. There's nothing that we go through that the Lord does not understand. Talked to a guy several, I guess it was about a year ago now, I, I actually, was saying this, you know, you Christians don't understand. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, but now I'm struggling so much because I am gay. And you Christians don't understand what it's like to be gay. It's not just a sex thing. It's, it's, it's a whole being kind of a thing. But you don't know because you've never been gay. And Jesus can't understand because Jesus was never gay. God doesn't understand because God's not gay. I said to him this, well, look at. God knows everything, right? And he believed in God. Yeah, God knows everything. And you know what it's like to be gay. And he goes, yeah. Therefore, God knows what it's like to be you. And God loves you. And he wants to be on the inside of this. He wants to be on the inside of this. He wants to let you, let you, have you let him sympathize with you, to walk alongside of this. Invite him into your gay struggles. Jesus Christ maybe never was gay, but God knows what it's like to struggle with that. God, Jesus Christ was never divorced, but God knows what it's like to go through the struggle of a divorce. And Jesus Christ never had an abortion, but he knows what it's like because he loves people who have been bent through it. He knows what it's like to have gone through that. Jesus Christ never was a parent of a child in Auschwitz, but he knows firsthand from the inside what it is to suffer with that stuff because he loves the people who go through it. He understands that. There is no sin. There is no degradation. There is no pain. There is no struggle. That's too unholy, that's too ungodly, that's too wretched for him to get involved in. The Bible says that even if we make our beds in hell, God is there with us. 
Even when we're the ones who make our bed. And we have this old saying, make your bed and lie in it. Well, that's true, and sometimes we have to suffer the consequences of bad, bad decisions that we have made. But what you've got to know is this. Jesus isn't up there saying, well, I told you so, and look what you did. Look what you did. Rather, he's saying on the cross, I experienced that. I'm with you. I'm in there. I'm a part of that. Let me in on the inside. And they begin to redeem it from the inside. Begin to redeem it from the inside. Praise God. He's there with you. He understands. Amen. Thank the Lord. That's why his throne is called a throne of grace. The king's throne, you know, that's the place of authority. The king's throne is the place of judgment. The king's throne is the place from which he rules his kingdom. The king's throne is the place where he passes condemnation on all that are against him. The king's uh, throne is where he reigns in warfare against all opposition. The king's throne is a mighty place, an austere place, and God's throne is exalted above the heavens. God's throne is it's not a physical throne, it's a spiritual throne, but it's, as it were, the center out of which he radiates his glory and radiates his power and radiates his wisdom. That's the throne of God. And that throne can be judgment. There is a throne of judgment. It, it is where God comes against everything that opposes him. All sin, all that is opposed to love, all that is opposed to his life, all that is opposed to joy, there is that severity. God's wrath can be severe, And his throne can be a throne of judgment. But what we need to see so very, very, very clearly here this morning is this. For all who say daddy to God, to all who say yes to his marvelous way of making sinners righteous, that throne of glory becomes a throne of grace. A throne of grace. The phrase means a throne characterized by grace. This is its central quality. This is what it stands for. This is what it's all about, God's grace. To all who will say, Lord, I'm a sinner, wash me clean. I believe in Jesus Christ. To all who say yes to his beautiful invitation to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. To everyone who will simply say, Lord, take my life and be Lord of my life. You now go to a throne that is not a throne of judgment. It is a throne of grace. And therefore, you can draw near to that throne ever so close. You, you can become intimate. In fact, he desires, passionately desires, to become intimate with us, with us. We become intimate with the one who is on the throne. And whereas in the normal kingdoms of this world, you go before the congressmen or the senators or the kings or whatever, and I suppose in the flesh you'd be scared and it's like, whoa, you know. And in the ancient world, the king could just decide to end your life and you'd be done. Going before the throne is a scary thing. Now to his kids, who he's made righteous by believing in Jesus Christ, we go confidently before the throne of grace. Confidently. Not cocky. But just know that when we go there, there will be grace. And he says this, draw near, get close, with confidence, in your time of need. Sometimes it's, it's easy to be confident before God when things are going well and we're feeling like we got our act together and we haven't sinned recently. We feel pretty righteous. We can talk to God. But he says, come near, with confidence, in your time of need. What kind of need? Well, the next phrase says it. And you will find grace and mercy in your time of need. In other words, when you need grace and mercy, you can be confident you're going to find it on the throne when you draw near. When do you need grace and mercy? When you're struggling in sin. When you're struggling in sin. The enemy jumps on your back and says, you better not talk to God. you got no business relating to God. You are a wretched sinner. You are no good. You're full of slime. da 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 And wants you to push God away and try to avoid the issue. The author is saying here, just then, when, 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 when you are least qualified on your own basis to stand before the throne of God, 
When you are in your time of need, in your time of forgiveness, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of the doubt, you can be confident of this one thing, that that throne, if you just turn back to it, that throne's going to be a throne of grace. And you fall and you look up and by golly, it's still a throne of grace. And you sit and you look up and by golly, it's still a throne of grace. Over and over again, the blood of the, the, blood of the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ flows from the throne of the king. Can you get that image? And it washes all those who will simply look to it and say yes to it. It's a throne of grace, and the kids can be confident. This is a safe throne, like a dad should be a safe dad. He enters into our world, he wants to redeem our world, and say, come to me when you need it most. And the throne is a throne of grace. Sometimes people worry about this. They worry that if you, if you preach this directly, if you say this about again and again, the throne is a throne of grace, well, then people will start saying, well, I just want to sin. I'll just keep on sinning, because whenever I turn back, he'll keep on forgiving me. And let me just say this. If we understand what grace is, and if it's real in our life, we, will, we continue to struggle with stuff, but there's a transformation that takes place. The regenerate heart does not want to abuse this grace. The regenerate heart wants to be used by this grace. And nothing but nothing will transform us like the grace of God. What doesn't transform is the judgment throne of God. That is for sinners. That is a vehicle of punishment. It is real. We need to know about it. But for all who say yes to Jesus Christ, the transforming vehicle that God uses is not a throne of judgment, but the throne of grace that we can be confident will always be there when we go to it. The throne of judgment does not transform us. Let me close by giving you my testimony when I first discovered this. And I've given it here at Woodland Hills before, but I don't think I have in the last two years or so. But it's like this. When I was first saved, at the age of 17, I had for five years been heavily involved in pornography. Had it all the time, every day. It was a regular thing. Hardcore pornography. I was saved in a church that was really well acquainted with the judgment throne of God. The way that they wanted to modify behavior and the way they wanted to transform you was by saying, stop it or get judged. And if you had struggles with it, they'd say, stop it louder. And if you still struggled with it, they'd say, stop it or go to hell. And if you kept on doing it, they'd just say, well, you are going to hell. It didn't transform on the inside. The judgment throne of God can scare you into modifying your behavior temporarily, but it doesn't transform the inner person. It doesn't transform the soul. The one thing that transforms the soul is the throne of God's grace. But I lived under this judgment throne of God, and I would fall and I would sin. And they'd say, stop it. I knew that I shouldn't be doing that. And I'd, I'd, I'd hear the judgment throne of God, and i think I'm going to go to hell for it. So i get resaved. That's how we used to phrase it, resaved. Got saved again. And then I'd fall, and I'd get unsaved, and I'd hit the judgment throne of God, and I'd get resaved. And then I'd fall, and I'd, I'd, I'd get the judgment throne of God, and I'd get resaved. And it went on and on and on and on, a veritable yo-yo on God's hand. You're saved, you're on eternal insecurity. You know, you're saved, you're unsaved. Saved, you're unsaved. I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. Apply the blood, revoke the blood. Apply the blood, revoke the blood. You're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Finally, after two years, and see, I could, I could, I believed I was going to hell for this. I believed in the wrath of God. I, I went, I, my picture of God was the judgment throne of God, and yet eventually I'd do it anyways. I could go a day or two or a week or one time even three weeks. It's telling a 17-year-old kid who's been involved in that to stop it when it's all around is a very hard thing to do. I needed more than my own willpower, if you know what I mean. There came a time when I finally gave up on this whole thing. I finally walked out of this church. I heard my last hellfire and damnation sermon. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to hell. I, I'm just tired of getting saved and unsaved. And God's tired of me getting saved and unsaved. I give up. 
I'm tired of the judgment throne of God. I'm going to hell, and if I'm going to go to hell, I might as well enjoy my time going down there. I'm not going to think about this anymore. I believed it was all true. I was a believer, folks. But I just didn't like it, and it wasn't working for me. I had a friend who was saying, well, here, here's what happened. I figured I got nothing to lose. I don't know if you can enter into that. Some of you have been there. I know some of you have been there where you just believe that, that you're lost and there's nothing you can do about it. You're, you're damned. It is the heaviest thought a mind can ever think. You're going to hell. That's all there is to, to It's so heavy. It's so heavy. And I figured as long as I'm going, I might as well get honest with God. This is the second honest prayer I ever prayed. The first prayer was, Lord, I'm a sinner. That was true. But this was two years I, in, my, in my Christian life I'd been struggling with this. And then in October 1977, in this parking lot, I did this. It was a prayer. I said, I, I'm done with this. I'm done with you, God. I'm done with your book. I'm done with this church. And I don't like you. And I don't like your book. And I don't like this fat, stuffy church. And I'm done with this whole thing. And if you want to send me to hell, fine. But I'm not going to give you the pleasure of you even thinking I'm scared about that. But I was. But I, just, I was out loud about stuff. And you're not fair. And the cards were stacked against me. And, and what kind of a program are you running here anyways? And God didn't, God didn't get like, you know, all upset and go, oh, whoop, whoop, whoop. listen to him. Where's my thunderbolt? I, where's, where's my thunderbolt? <laughs> well, I never thought, I'd fry him right now. Get in, fry him. No, it wasn't like that. He's toast. What the Lord did was this, and, and, and we need to hear this. See, that was honesty. That was truth. And the Lord said, thank you. Thank you for finally stop jumping through the little self-righteous hoops that you've been trying to do on your own effort. And now I can finally get a word in edgewise. And the, the Holy Spirit was just working there, though I didn't know it. My friend of mine who was with me who had a similar kind of a discussion as we're out in this parking lot all by ourselves in 1977. He said, Greg, we've got to be missing something. Why is it that we can't live this life but other people can? And, and I opened up my Bible and I said, well, Will, Johnny, uh, if we're missing something, then, then where is it? I've read this book from beginning to end. And where is it? Is it right here? There is therefore no, no condemnation of the bunch are in Christ Jesus. I was being sarcastic. There is therefore, is that a time, huh? There is therefore now no condemnation. Now there's a thought. And the Lord just gave me a revelation there that revolutionized my thinking about him. While I was in the midst of this struggle, he understood. He doesn't condone this. But you know what? He understands what I'm going through because he loves me. He loves me, and he wants to be on the inside of this. And he was just beginning to get on the inside of this because I stopped pretending that I could do it on my own. And, and, and what happened here was this. I realized that it, there is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, washed by the blood of the Lamb, a king's kid, there is there no for, therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. That's not God's way of changing us. He wants to change us for sure, but he doesn't do it by condemnation. That's the judgment throne that's reserved for believers. I mean, for unbelievers. I have a throne of grace, and my view of God changed from this. I'd always seen God as, as this authority, and authorities were always mad at me, always mad at me. I could never please authorities. My view of God was sort of like Mother Superior in Catholic school, and she hated me. It's like, oh, just, she was just waiting for me to screw up. I, I, she would always, you know, have what she called the ugly stick, and I'd be sent into her room, and she'd just whip the tar out of me, and I know she liked it. And that was my view of God. Well, Mr. Boyd, whatever you should we get out the ugly stick again? Oh, yeah, here we go, you know. And that's how God was. It's, I spank you, I'll wait a while, I'll spank you again. And finally, you're going to get an eternal spanking. And that was my view of God. But what happened here is that when, I, when God got through in that verse, Romans 8, chapter 1, I, my picture of God went from being a God who's like this to a God who's being like this. You know what I'm saying? A God who's saying, Greg, I love you with an everlasting love. 
There's therefore now, amen. There's no condemnation that went in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And see, far from me saying, oh good, now I can keep on doing it without feeling guilty. That's not the thinking of a regenerate heart. What happened was this. I saw how beautiful God was. How gorgeous Jesus Christ is. There is no words that could even begin to approach the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He radiates this passionate, dying love for us. And for the first time in my life, I saw that. And I wanted to live for him. Now, that's a new concept. It wasn't just that I have to live for him, but I wanted to live for him. There's, I had a motivation. I'm in love with this God, and I want to live for him. A new motivation. It wasn't that, oh, no, if I do this, I'm going to go to hell. That will never revolutionize your inner person. When you see the love of God, that begins to revolutionize you. And it changed the way I saw myself. I am a king's kid. I am filled with the Spirit. I am a righteous dude because of what Jesus Christ has made me to be. And if I'm a righteous dude, I'm way above this smut. I'm above this animal stuff. I am better than this stuff. Hallelujah. And in Christ, I can kick that. And then God changed my perception of that whole sin. You know, we always, our feelings always respond to how we represent reality to ourselves. And some of you are involved in sin that you just can't get free of. It's called a stronghold in the Bible. And the reason is because you keep on representing it as a positive thing. You keep on seeing that drink as a positive thing. You keep on seeing that sex as a positive thing. That's how you represent it, so you're naturally attracted to it. What God did for me, and he can do it for you, is he changed my perception of it, where he says, here's what I think about this, and it ain't beautiful. I can't describe to you how ugly it is. It's revulsive. It's puking stuff. To see this, this pornography full of slime and, and gunk and manure and pus, because to God it's a revulsion. And to become godly means we begin to see sin for what it really is. And now there's a move away from that and a move towards God. And the stronghold that that had on my life was broken. And I've never sinned since. <laughs> no, no. Just kidding. If you believe that, i got a builder's square I want to sell you. <laughs> no. no, look, there's still struggles in the flesh. But the, the thing is this. It is the throne of grace that transforms us. Paul says the love of God constrains us. It moves us. It changes us. It envelops us. This morning you need to know this. Whatever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're in, whatever you're going through, Jesus Christ understands it. He wants to be on the inside of it. And your mind is thinking and the devil's trying to get you to think, oh, but, 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 but. There are no ifs, there are no ands, and there are no buts. This is the dotted line. Jesus Christ wants in as you are. The front of this auditorium is going to be open when we close in prayer, and I invite you to come forward. If you've never made him Lord, Savior, do it this morning. Maybe there's an area of your life you need freedom from. The throne of grace wants to transform you. There'll be some people up here who would love to pray with you. I invite you to come forward. Maybe you just want to sit for a little bit and listen to the music as it plays to let God do a work in your life. However God leads you, then you just do it. Let me close with prayer. Father, we are just overwhelmed by your love and overwhelmed by your grace. We know, Lord God, that all that we are are simply sinners that are saved by that grace. And you're changing us, Lord God, to be Christ-like, but that's all to your glory and not, not, of our own, not of ourselves. I pray, Lord God, that we would be a people who grow in holiness, who grow, Lord God, in reflecting your character, but also people who show off your forgiveness because we don't do that perfectly. Help us to be a people, Lord God, who feel freedom from trying to hide and pretend before each other, but are open and honest with what we are about. Lord God, we just praise you and we worship you and we ask you to lead us and guide us as we carry out our ministries this week and be glorified in all that we do and in all that we say. In your precious name we pray. Amen.